Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Clarity PR is a global strategic communications agency that shapes market-leading narratives for brands in crypto and blockchain to drive awareness and grow business. Working with clients, including Atlas Quantum and Securitize, Clarity can move quickly to differentiate the value of your business. Please visit clarity.pr to learn more. Your branding and website are the first things your audience will see. In the ever-expanding world of ICOs and blockchain startups, you need to stand out from the pack. OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that will help you amplify your brand with a perfect website, logo, collateral, or custom design project. Get big results in no time by visiting thinkonramp.com. My guest today is Willie Wu, an independent crypto analyst. Welcome, Willie. Oh, hi, Laura. How are you going? Uh, I was wondering, what's been on your mind this week? Um, I guess there's a lot of things um, always changing. I mean, the last couple of days I've been thinking about this whole concept of everyone talking about the transaction limit on Bitcoin being, you know, quite low. And um, the reality is when you send a transaction on Bitcoin, a transaction can actually have multiple payments out. Particularly, you see that kind of a lot in the exchanges when they're batching their transactions together. So I've been kind of running charts to see actually what is the payment limit on this network, um, not necessarily transactions where, you know, a transaction is the aggregation. So, um, yeah, I've been just pulling in some data and crunching the numbers. Um, and I just tweeted something actually today that um, showed that in 2015 when the network was being, um, I guess, stress-tested and or, or spammed, depending on how you think about it, um, it actually reached 22.5 transactions per second, which which means that today with our SegWit, we're at the 90 transactions per second range, which, um, you know, is light years ahead of um, the current, I think it's around five transactions per second that people are talking about. So, um, yeah, just thinking of things like that, that's what's going through my mind the last two days. Earlier when you talked about the payment limit, does that mean that you're trying to denominate the transactions per second in value? you know, per unit of time? Uh, no, actually payments. So if you think about um, when an exchange sends, um, if you do a withdrawal, maybe there's 100 people withdrawing at that moment. Often that what they'll do is they'll send one transaction onto the blockchain and that transaction will have many what we call outputs. And so each output is sent to each individual's wallet. So that one transaction will be quoted as one transaction on the blockchain but it's actually 100 payments to 100 different people. So when we quote these kind of transaction limits, they're not actually transactions as we traditionally think about them. They're, they're only transactions in the protocol sense of it. As far as payments, um, one transactions can have hundreds of payments to different people. 
Oh, interesting. So that's how we get the much higher number. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. And I also wanted to talk about what you've been thinking about with regards to this bear market. I know that you tend to look at the hard data in the blockchain, you know, things like what you just mentioned or transactions and how that relates to the value of the network. Have you any thoughts around whether or not these prices which have dropped from their highs in December, whether they're justified based on the transactions or whether they're, you know, undervaluing the network or overvaluing the network still? Yeah, that's kind of the million dollar question right now. Everyone wants to know where the bottom of the market is. Um, and, you know, I've done a lot of work around, um, you know, what's called the NVT ratio, um, which kind of looks at the the payment network as if what if it was like a PayPal, you know, where, you know, if it, with a payment company, you can value that that company um, based on its revenue it's making. And if you don't have the revenue, and we don't have a revenue for Bitcoin, um, you can use the um, throughput through, say, the PayPal network um, to get a proxy towards what its revenue would be and therefore what the the valuation of the company would be. And so it was a bit of a crazy idea, but like I, I tried that, and lo and behold, um, the ratio of the throughput on Bitcoin matched with very, very high um, correlation to its market cap. So by taking the ratio of the two, we have what we call the NVT ratio. And it works like um, price earnings ratio in traditional stock stock markets. Um, and so if you look back since its history, actually, you can see that like in the 2013 bubbles, the second kind of bubble of that, that 2013 period, the, the earnings price earnings ratio equivalent, which is the MVT, rocketed upwards and um, after the after the you know after it peaked. And what we saw was it was very overvalued and it took us a long time, a very long time, um, for that ratio to drop and baseline back to its normal bounds where um, its valuation was very um, correlated to the throughput. And um, what we're seeing right now is that we've gone through the same process and it's it's detoxing you know it's it's coming down off an overvaluation period and you know i've been thinking about how that that trend that trend takes time to come down um we can frame that from a historic rate and you know we're, we're months away like i think that we're you know if we're looking at the rate of decline it's going to be in the fourth quarter of this year before we come back to a normal baseline. And, you know, when I look at the other indicators, like if you look at the volatility of the price, volatility tends to climb a lot um, as it goes up through a mania phase and particularly as it it comes back down. Um, And usually what you see is when um, it's finished a a complete mania phase and it's come back to its baseline, um, you get this kind of, steady state um, low volatility band where buyers come in and accumulate that coin and um, the the buying and selling pressure kind of um, balance and um, you get this sustained band and that's a a signature for the bottom being reached and accumulators holding that price and um, you can see that in, in I think about 
two or three other zones where we we went through a cycle and there was accumulation and um, again the volatility is too high and on its current decline it also points to the fourth quarter of this year so I'm thinking that that's probably the zone to look for if people are looking to enter Bitcoin that what we're looking for is in that time zone and for the price to go sideways for a long time Um, so yeah, fourth quarter of this year onwards, I'd, I'd start to look at that and I'd expect it might even stay sideways into 2019 the early phase before we start to see this kind of institutional money that people have been talking about um, start to enter and make some sort of difference. Um, right now we're getting a lot of sell-off just f- from people who have bought in high and are in fear, um, but also um, as Vinny Lingham um, quoted I wrote a blog post off in the last bear season we had in the 2014-15 phase that you kind of get this this situation where miners are selling um, their coins to cover the operational expenses, which they used to not do. They used to accumulate and hold those coins for for, for gain. But when they're forced um, with this bear season to keep selling coins um, just to keep everything running, um, you get this sort of, um, for sell-off, and right now we're just waiting for that to um, end. And when you predict that the market will go sideways until the fourth quarter of this year, I, you know, I understand when you calculate the NVT, which is the network value to transactions ratio, that you're using you know actual data about the state of the blockchain at this moment. But then, how do you do the projection out? Is it that you're thinking, you know, as you mentioned about institutional players coming in and you project it will be around that time and that's when we'll see um, the value rise again or are you kind of using technical analysis to make some prediction about where the trends will go, you know, over some period of time in the future? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's it's multiple touch points. Um, you know, this is I'm, – I'm more confident in this than um, – a lot of ideas I've had. Um, in this particular case, um, by measuring the the transactions on the blockchain, um, it's not what we call a technical um, indicator, which is just um, you know a, a derivation of um, price action on markets, basically speculator action. This is actually um, real um, throughput of value being um, put through that that blockchain, and so. Um, it's a sea of people transacting and it's it's organic in a way that you don't get like one day a whole bunch of people are transacting and then the next day nobody. They, they, they go through, um, you know, waves and patterns and it's a growth pattern too, you know. it's And so you can frame, as, as you see, like the we're coming off this kind of peak time where a lot of people was interested in Bitcoin. A lot of people were buying it. A lot of people were sending it to exchanges to to buy it. A lot of people were sending to exchanges to buy it and then buy ICOs and, and so forth. There's, there's all of the speculative and trading activity. And it's not like that just falls off a cliff the next day. It, it, it goes through these cycles where um, where it trends, you know. And so um, we've got historic data that shows that um, these this is the kind of rates that the decline in these ratios um, or the transactions through the blockchain um, go through. So um, that gives you a, a timing. And also same thing with volatility. Um, 
volatility will go through, you know, a chart and it's declining right now. And um, you can kind of target if it continues on that trend. And that's another touch point. Um, and then with the institutional money, that's that's just more of a, it's not a strong, um, it's not a strong like thing that you, you'd predict on because it's, it's, it's often that's just news, you know. Um, but I do know that there's a, a whole bevy and wave of institutional class custodial solutions that um, are hitting the markets. They're in test now, and some of the earliest of the new stuff is coming in um, tail end of this year. But I think a lot of it will be, um, and this is just purely um, my thoughts on it, I think they're not going to be ready for um, prime time till next year. And I think Coinbase was quoted at, at saying that they've, they're pretty confident in an estimation of $10 billion, billion um, coming in. Yeah, that to, was on my podcast. Um, <laughs> ah, right. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> and, and so, um, that, yeah, that, that kind of frames it. You know, I'm kind of thinking even $10 billion is not a lot for Bitcoin. Yeah, no, they said that was super conservative. Day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and I think that, that a lot of that money will kind of stem the downward slide, right? And it'll start to um, steady it off and then we'll set up for, a, I think, a lot, you know, yeah, it's, this, this is all just speculation, but uh, a lot of people are thinking another bubble, like another super huge rise. And I, I'm thinking, actually, the, the, the institutional players are quite conservative and, I'm not, and we're, I'm not entirely convinced that we're going to see a second bubble um, or a second crazy moon season. Um, mm. And on top of that, we're getting well-developed like markets to short bitcoins. You know, with the advent of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and their, their futures trading, and the volume on that's just ramping up. So now there are instruments or vehicles in which you know the traditional markets are comfortable shorting something like bitcoin so it should it should really um put a cap on the the kind of crazy uh, rises we've seen in the past and um and i've also was talking to someone here and um they 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 were thinking maybe this is the last bubble because this is the one that the retail um investors all got to know about it like no one on the planet practically doesn't know the the name bitcoin and this this time around i think everyone knows so yeah well we'll see what happens in a moment we'll keep talking about your views on where this is all going and your long-term view on cryptocurrency but first a quick word from our fabulous sponsors OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that has helped numerous companies, including many in the blockchain and crypto space, maximize their brand awareness, gain traction, and accelerate growth. Whether you're a startup company launching a new brand or an established brand exploring a new campaign, OnRamp has you covered. OnRamp has a passion for boosting business results and can help with everything from logo and website design to full creative execution. Focus on your core technology and leave the rest to OnRamp. To learn more and see how they've helped passionate entrepreneurs achieve their dreams, go to thinkonramp.com. Clarity PR is a global strategic communications agency that shapes market-leading narratives for brands in crypto and blockchain to drive awareness and grow business. Working with clients like Atlas Quantum, CoinMint, Securitize, Smart Valor, and Verbex, 
Clarity PR can move quickly to differentiate the value of your business in the noisy blockchain and crypto space. Named as one of the fastest growing agencies in PR Week's Top 150, Clarity is well-versed in providing guidance to a wide range of companies looking to build their reputation and deliver high-profile media relations campaigns across mainstream business outlets, as well as major tech and vertical trade outlets. To learn more and see a list of services, visit clarity.pr. I'm speaking with Willie Wu, an independent crypto analyst. You have a theory that you call the 10,000-year view of cryptocurrency. And, you know, here we have been talking about sort of this moment in the market, but I'm curious to also get your long view. What is this 10,000-year view of cryptocurrency and where are we now in that perspective? Yeah, um, it, it goes on this whole idea around revolutions, you know, like we had, you know, our earliest forms of money, which were very much like tokenized, you know, whatever, seashells. Um, and we kind of settled on gold as this token of, of value exchange. And we've had that for about 10,000 years. And, you know, through the industrial age, I think we, we decoupled some more um, off it. Um, there was a, a ratio of paper being traded around um, the gold, but it was still claimable for gold. And then in 1973, um, that turned to no backing and we entered the age of pure fiat. Um, and I kind of think that we this whole framing of um, trading paper notes around money and then not having it backed was something that happened um, roughly within the zone of the industrial um, age, you know, and is in and right now what we're doing is we're going through to a digital age and we're in what we call the post-industrial revolution. And um, if you have to think what, what we've done with Bitcoin is that it was the first protocol that um, allowed us to digitize a, um, a scarcity, an internet-native scarcity. So um, with that, we... We can actually, like, essentially it's like software eating the world, but now it can eat the financial world. And so I, I'm a real believer that we're, we're going to move into this age of fully digital currency, internet native, uh, not this kind of thing we've seen in banks where, you know, our money today is digital and they sit in databases in these central repositories called banks. Um, but the, I, I believe the future is going to be, blockchain um, assets that are digitally programmable on the internet. And and so, yeah, I, I do think that um, the space will be fully tokenized, all, all instruments. And I think for the most part, a lot of financial contracts will be digitized and yeah, well, you in December, you made some bold statements that Bitcoin users double every 12 months. And based on some previous some charts of the previous adoption of Bitcoin, you said that you project that we're nine years away from half the world using Bitcoin. Has this year's bear market changed those predictions at all? No, not really. Oh, really? And why is that? I think we're on track, actually. Um, like, um it was in November, I think I gave a talk at Consensus Invest and on that chart showed us kind of the crossover. It was like, this is the, this is how much the, the total valuation of Bitcoin, its market cap, how that compares to M1 and M2 US dollar money supply, which, um, you know, these, this being the reserve currency of the world. And, um, if you follow those trend lines, um, we were, um, 
66% of the way there in, in November 2017. And like this is this is like um, a nine-year trend now. So it's tapering offshore. We've got another third to go before we start to cross over into these reserve currency um, size pools of um, value. Uh, but, you know, nine years from now, yeah, for sure. I think we're on track. Oh, wow. I mean, it, like we're probably at roughly maybe 1% of the world or so using Bitcoin. So yeah, that's, to say. That, that's right. Um, that I think it was uh, in that talk I said 1% to 3%. 3% probably more realistic, 1% most conservative. And Ari Paul did some of those projections. I did some as well. And it was all, a number of people have, and they're all in that zone. And that's about right, given the, the doubling, you know, like let's, what, how many, how many doublings is it to get to like? To 15. Like 2%. It's not, it's not far actually. Um, two to the power of eight, that's eight years. That's a 256 um, times growth if it continues on that rate. Obviously, it won't. It sort of tapers off its S curve. But um, yeah, I wouldn't um, discount that one to three percent. It's it's similar to the internet in nineteen ninety four, I think. And are you certain it will be Bitcoin, or do you just mean crypto assets in general? Because I, it wasn't clear to me if you were betting on one horse, if you were, or if you were just using Bitcoin as a stand-in for all crypto assets. Um, that one was in the case of um, Bitcoin winning. Um, I kind of think that we're going to move into a multi-token um, ecosystem. I do think that it doesn't really make sense to have one reserve like cryptocurrency because ultimately um, the equivalent of a digital durability is one of the properties of money. I think that deals with anti-fragility, like all it would take is if one bad merge, one bad bug that goes into the code base. And I don't think we would want a world that depends um, that it's the, the chain is bug-free. And so if you were to think of a digital age money spanning um, the next, you know, whatever, 100,000 years, 100 to 1,000 years, um, you wouldn't want it to sit on one one chain. And I think that you want that kind of resilience. So I do think um, even what's happening right now is we're seeing a lot of multi-coin wallets um, hold many chains. And no matter if you think they're, they're great technologies or terrible technologies, I think that it does make sense to have these multiple chains hold and store value. And we can – and actually want to move away from this whole idea of – um, a token like a seashell um, being a unit of exchange. It's, it's, it occurs to me this is a, an agrarian age concept, like when we pre-digital. And if you were to move to a digital age, um, you you would think about money and you design it. You design it like all the properties, like store of value, put that in the chain, um, medium of exchange. That's um, maybe something like a lightning network or a, a global DEX, which is not, one blockchain specific. And so when I was to send, send you money, maybe it just takes it from my current portfolio of different blockchain holdings and, and delivers that digitally um, on the fly instantly. You know, that kind of stuff is possible in a digital age. And, you know, and if you, you know, you can, we could build the, the entire monetary um money the well the properties of money inside a stack um and, you know we don't need a token 
we in a digital in a digital economy we could come up with something like the equivalent of a consumer price index where we're measuring the performance of the economy because it's all been digitized now um, yeah. and use that as a, an index and that becomes the unit and it's not one one lump of a gold or a, a seashell you know so yeah. um, I think I think a lot of things are going to get reinvented in this in this <laughs> this area. I agree. Well, we'll have to have you back on the show to see how some of these predictions pan out. Um, <laughs> well, it's been great having you. Thanks so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you, Laura. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Elaine Zelby, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.